0: <laughs>
3: Welcome to episode 105 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And today I am not joined by Brian Joyner and Matt Collins, but we have a special guest. We have Ian Kundle, the director of scouting at SoxProspects.com. Ian, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Jake. Uh, It's it's great to be here. I hope I can live up uh, and fill those lofty shoes that uh, Brian and Matt are leaving behind right now.
3: Yeah, you know it's it's four shoes, so it's be, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's gonna be really hard to fill all these. Um, it's a
2: good thing I have big feet.
3: Yes, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Ian's been a guest on the show before. If you haven't heard him, and if you're not familiar with his work, uh, go over to socksprospects.com. If you're a Sox fan and you're not using that resource, you're doing it wrong. So uh, make sure you check that out. But today what we're going to talk about is uh, the Sox minor league system, and specifically we're going to cue in on the relief pitching and the starting pitching in the minor leagues. So the Red Man, Sox, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big question. So the Red Sox have uh, lost Joe Kelly and Craig Kimbrell from their bullpen. Now they haven't officially lost Kimbrell yet, but at this point it looks like he's not going to sign with the Sox. Uh, Kelly gave the Sox 65.2 innings pitch last year, uh, which led the team. Craig Kimbrell gave them 62.1, which was second highest on the team. These guys were super important to the Red Sox last year, and neither of them is going to be back, it seems like. Um, so the Red Sox are going to have to do something, but almost all of the big relief uh options that are on the market that we've been talking to you guys about incessantly for this entire offseason. The Ottavinos, gone. Uh, <laughs> you know, even guys like Brad Brack are gone at this point.
2: Sean um, Kelly, I saw.
3: Sean Kelly's gone. Uh, every every option that was out there uh, is pretty much gone for the Red Sox. Kimbrel really is the last guy out there. So the Red Sox are going to have to do something, it seems like, internally. So that's why we have Ian here on the show to kind of help us through what that internal fill is going to be. So let's give a rundown of the actual bullpen as it looks right now. Looks like it's going to be Matt Barnes, Ryan Brazier, Heath Embry, Tyler Thornburg when he's healthy, uh, Brian Workman. Yeah, it, 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 he's almost never healthy. Um, nope. Brian Johnson, Hector Velasquez. Only three of those guys have options. The top two guys, uh, and Hector Velasquez. Uh, They've done nothing in the offseason aside from trading for Colton Brewer. Um, So, Ian, it seems like they've got some work to do.
2: They do. Um, It's going to be interesting, and I think they know that because if you look at their 40-man roster in Pawtucket, or we have projected for Pawtucket right now, we have five guys in the bullpen. And that doesn't include Chandler Shepard, who's also on the 40-man, who's kind of a starter, or every other Pawtucket pitcher who's a non-roster invitee, basically. (laughs) So... It seems like they're uh, they're going to try it. It's going to be kind of open season um, with regards to that last spot unless they sign someone. And there's a whole whole host of names that are going to have a chance. And I wonder if it's kind of going to be like last year where Marcus Walden was the one to step up. You know, whoever steps up in camp might grab that last spot.
3: Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a pure numbers game for them. They're going to look at a lot of guys, get a lot of long looks, and see mm-hmm. see who it's going to be. So what we're going to do now is we're going to start – uh, at the High A Salem affiliate. We're going to look at the pitchers there. And uh, Ian is going to share with us any guys on that roster that have a chance at debuting with the team this year. We're going to talk about them a little bit, and then we're going to move up to Portland and so on and so on. Um, so, Salem. Is there anybody on the Salem roster, Ian, that you think has a shot at debuting with the Red Sox in 2019?
2: So, Usually I would say absolutely not, but this year there actually is – there's one person who I don't think it's a very good shot considering the whole host of names that would be ahead on the depth chart of this person. But Zach Schellinger is someone that I think is worth keeping an eye out on. Um, Schellinger was a six-round pick back in 2017 out of Seton Hall. Uh, where he was really, really good on the Cape after his sophomore season, but then had a myriad of injury issues uh, his junior year, and he only threw thirteen innings. He was really good in those thirteen innings. Uh, he had twenty-three strikeouts, five walks, but you know, still was only thirteen innings. And as a result, the Red Sox were able to get him for a very reasonable amount. And um, his first year, his stuff was way down. Um, I saw him, and he was sitting eighty-eight to ninety-one. Actually, that was spring training this year. Excuse me. He was sitting 88 to 91, um, which I heard heard he hit 100 uh, in college and was more like load of mid 90s when he was healthy. And just the slider and the changeup weren't really there. Um, and then he missed a good chunk of this year. So not surprisingly, um, but in his instructs this year, his stuff was back and it came kind of started during the regular season where he uh, he excelled over 16 innings with the GCL in Greenville. Um, struck out 25 guys, um, or excuse me, 26, no, 25 guys. My math is good. And uh, only walked four over those 16 innings and allowed nine hits total. Um, so that's kind of good. Um, and his stuff, when I saw him in spring training, was uh, he was up to 96, um, mostly like 93, 95. And his secondary, his slider was back. Um, it was like a 65 like plus to better pitch at in the mid-80s. Um, he's, he's six, six, he's got a really tough delivery to pick up and he just buries the ball down in the zone. And the result is he's impossible to square up. Um, we were talking about a little bit before the show. Um, but his, his ground ball numbers are absurd. Um, you know, this year in with, uh, with Greenville or with the GCL this year in six innings, he did not allow a single fly ball the way they categorize it. He allowed uh, – it was 90 percent or 10, 10 to 1 ground ball to fly ball because I guess they categorized line drives as fly balls. And then uh, in Greenville, it was 4 to 1 was his ground ball to fly ball rate. And so he's a kind of guy that when you talk about there's no point in wasting your bullets, he kind of is what he is. Um, you know he, There's no projection in the frame. The stuff I think kind of is what he is when he's healthy. And – there's definitely an injury risk because of his, uh, his delivery. So he's someone who, if you want to be aggressive, I would just, he's someone I would push very aggressively. And you know, if the stuff is there, maybe you put him in Salem for a couple weeks, then you move him straight up to Portland. Or frankly, if he's really good as a 23 year old already, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts in Portland, frankly. And he's someone who I don't think there's a good chance, but if they really are digging deep at some point this summer, he's a name to watch out for.
3: Yeah, from what it sounds like, I mean, at his age and being a college pitcher, um, if the stuff really is at that level, back what it was, you know, pre-injury, um, that's almost too enticing a guy not to give a chance, especially, you know, for the Red Sox looking for, to fill all these innings.
2: Exactly. And, you know, I think when we get this deep number numbers game, as you, we kind of alluded, you alluded to earlier, and, you know, it doesn't matter where the numbers come for, if someone throws well. You, you, there's nothing nothing is no harm's going to come from giving them a chance and as i said there's not a lot of projection here you know kind of is what he is and if he's healthy i'd rather have those you know his uh his pitches or what he's got le- what he's got at his arm used in you know valuable innings and obviously minor league innings are valuable for development purposes but they're more valuable to other pitchers than some guys and it, he kind of is as is, is what it is repeating that um that you know if he shows how he did at the end of last season there's no harm in pushing him aggressively and getting him on, you know, at least on the door with a outside shot at some point this year.
3: What he showed last season, the last word on him that I want to get um, was that late inning stuff that you saw from him.
2: I don't know if it's like closer stuff, but I definitely could see like a setup guy. Um, his, you know, it's the fastball. It's a little it's lighter than we've seen on some closers. I mean, if he gets all the way back to what he was, you know, which was the high 90s stuff, then that's legit. But right now it's like 93, 95. And the slider was 83, 86, which is, that's definitely, that's like a legit out pitch. But I just, I'm not sure between the injury risk and um the, the injury risk mainly. And yeah, the kind of inconsistencies when it comes to velocity i'm not sure i would peg like a closer type but i think he could be a really solid like middle you know seventh inning maybe eighth inning guy similar to like in the joe kelly role
3: certainly a valuable guy to pay attention to and good to see him back healthy that's awesome yeah for sure all right so let's move over to portland uh out of this uh nice collection of pitchers that you guys are projecting to uh start at portland uh who are some of the guys you think have a chance to debut next year
2: Well, I think in the bullpen role, the two to watch out for are Durbin, Feltman and Darwins and Hernandez. Um, And we should probably mention Hernandez. I should have mentioned Hernandez first, frankly, because he's on the 40 man roster already. And um, we kind of got a preview of Hernandez. He had a really good year last year as a starter, but uh, he moved to the bullpen with Portland and then carried that over to the AFL where he struck out 24 guys in 11 innings in a bullpen role. And um, obviously my math is not one of my strengths, but I think that's good. Um, <laughs> yeah,
3: that sounds pretty
2: good to me. When I think he had, th- you know, he had 33, 34 outs he could have gotten, and 24 of them were strikeouts. That's uh, that's pretty good. But I have, I, I've actually seen him ironically pitch in a relief role uh, last year with Portland, and his stuff out of the bullpen is potentially insane. Um, he's a, a lefty who is up to 98 with a potential plus breaking ball and like an averageish changeup, and You know, lefties with that kind of stuff, like, that's late-inning stuff right there. Um, But the big question for him is command and control, frankly, um, because he does not throw a lot of strikes. Um, He's gotten better with it, for sure, but it's still a major issue. And when he does throw strikes, they're not necessarily where he wants them to be. Now he can get away with that in the minors because his stuff is filthy. but higher quality hitters are going to make you pay for mistakes. You know, if you hang a changeup up or you hang a breaking ball up, it's going to leave the park against major league hitters against double a hitters. Yeah, it's all right. Especially if you've, you know, you buzz them up in with 97, the pitch before. So I think he has a weight. He needs to definitely work on his, uh, the command and control aspects of the game. But if he figures that stuff out, you know, that can, that's a potential weapon out of the bullpen. And given he's already on the 40 man, and they only have, I think, one other lefty. Nope, two. They have Josh Taylor and Bobby Pointer ahead of him, quote unquote, because they're in Pawtucket. But he's someone who I would definitely keep an eye out at some point later in next year. Because the thing with him is you want him to be a starter. Because if he's a starter, it's a potential, you know, mid-rotation guy, which is a lot more valuable than a middle reliever next year. But if, you know, if late in the season they need a shot in the arm, he's someone who I could see them, you know, moving to the bullpen to keep his innings down also and then kind of if he's still if he's having a really good year why not give him a shot
3: it seems like darwinson was one of the bigger risers last year in the whole system um just reading what fangraphs wrote about him they actually put him second on their list over michael chavis and mm-hmm. they they said that he could be a top 30 reliever in baseball if everything goes right yeah but what exactly did happen last year that kind of made people open their eyes because people are talking about Darwins and hernandez this year in a way that i didn't hear people talking about him last year
2: I think uh two things. He took a big step with his field for his secondaries. He would have been touring around like he couldn't decide if it was a he was gonna throw a slider or a curveball or a changeup. He had been kind of just Throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck, and I think he finally really settled in with his breaking ball last year um, was the first thing, and now it's like people you know kind of view it as a true out pitch. Whereas in the past it's like all right, he's got like a you know a potential like plus to better, maybe even plus plus if you're on a, see him on a good day fastball. But what else goes along with that? Whereas now it's like all right, he's got the fastball, we already knew that. Now he's also got this potential breaking ball to go along with it. Like okay, that's definitely a lot more interesting. Um and I think the other thing is that uh his he's got the fastball. I mean, I know that it's not there with the um with the command, but he's he's made strides. You know, it's still there's a ways to go, but it's getting better. And you know, when you're missing bats at the upper minors in the level he is, that's going to get attention. I think that's the third thing um, is he's moving up the level. You know, if, when, you, when you're when you down in Lowell, Greenville area, it's kind of easy to overlook like guys. Because, I mean, when you look at his numbers, if you're not looking, digging deep, you see like a four ERA, one three whip. That's what a lot of people see. But, you know, you need to look deeper than that. And that's where you see like, you know, ooh, 116 strikeouts and 100 innings. Like that's something that's kind of interesting. And then when you actually see him out at the field, that's where you're like, OK that's where the stuff really shows and uh, I think last year too he did a really good job of keeping the ball in the ballpark he only allowed one home run all last year and you know when you're hard to square up and you're a lefty and you throw really hard and you have a potential you know plus to better breaking ball like that's that's legit
3: in addition to all of that growth did you did you see a change in his sequencing at all
2: um yeah, I mean in the past he would basically just only throw fastballs first pitch. I, I definitely and I he started he I think it was more he just had more confident confidence in himself to throw other pitches. Mm-hmm. And you know, he would get too fastball happy in pass looks, but I think last year he was he was more than willing to incorporate his secondary pitches earlier in counts to keep guys off balance and which is something that'll definitely help him going forward.
3: And was that out of necessity, do you think, to get hitters at that level out, or was it more clearly he's comfortable with the pitch? and he feels like it's a true weapon at this point
2: i think it's more the latter mm-hmm. um he just like because he could get those guys out still with this fastball frankly okay. i mean when, when you're throwing 97 with the kind of movement he has on his fastball which is part of why he struggles to throw strikes with it at times but when you're throwing that hard from the left side with that some deception he's got deception in his delivery and um like it it really jumps on hitters and i think we saw it too um I want to say he had one of the highest spin rates on a fastball and both his fastball and curveball of AFL pitchers. Hmm. Um, So, you know, when you've got, he's got like the track man numbers, he's got the velo, um, he he passes the eye test. Like he ticks a lot of the boxes for what you want to see in like a pitching prospect these days. And now it's just, you know, tightening things up and, you know, polishing things off, which is mainly the command and control aspect of the game.
3: Sounds like a guy we're going to really need to get excited with. And if you're not familiar with Darwin's in, you're going to have to get familiar with him.
2: Yeah, no, he's like that's when you ask about like late in and closer stuff. He has it potentially.
3: That's a dude. All right. Durbin Feltman. That's the other guy we got to hear about because he's the third round pick from last year out of TCU. Uh, Fantastic stuff. You guys have been beating the drum for him over at Sox Prospects to try and get him up quickly. Uh, Tell us why.
2: It's kind of similar to uh, Hernandez, except he also actually knows where it's going um, (laughs) more of the time or a lot more of the time. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a similar profile in the sense that it's a plus plus fastball. Um, I saw him up to 96. I want to say he was like 94, 96, maybe 94, 97, 94, 96. And he I've talked, talked to guys who've seen him up to 99 before. Um, And he's just like your prototypical power righty. He's undersized um, a little bit, which, I mean, he kind of reminds us. It sounds like someone we've seen before with the Red Sox, frankly. Um, Undersized righty who throws really hard with a devastating breaking ball. Um, But uh, it's a potential, you know, plus the better slider as well. He doesn't walk guys. um, He strikes a ton of guys out. He's really hard to square up there's no third pitch um you know he is what he is there's no upside which is why i think he's it's why he's not mentioned um in the top 10 prospects in the system or you know he's on the the, the periphery of that list is cuz he is what he is like you know and it's hard to project guys to be a closer frankly but if you ask me who has the stuff to be a closer i mean it's someone like him you know i mean he's listed at five eleven, one ninety, but whatever it doesn't matter in a one inning role when you throw as hard as he does with I mean there's violence in the delivery obviously which is definitely an injury concern but he's another guy that I don't want to waste his his, you know waste his arm in the minors, get him up as quickly as possible and let's just start getting him those big league workload because the stuff is what it is. It's not going to change. And frankly it's too good for minor league hitters at this point already. So they need to challenge him, which is what I think they'll do. I think there's he'll start the season in Portland and if I would assume, I mean, given the project, the path they worked last year, where he threw four innings in Lowell, seven in Greenville, and then 12 in Salem, I assume he'll be up in Pawtucket in short order and kind of pushing on the door of the big leagues at some point pretty quickly into this season.
3: As it stands right now, who's more equipped to get Major League hitters out, Feltman or Hernandez?
2: Feltman. He just throws way more strikes. Okay. Like, uh, Feltman is – darwinson will have is that he's one of these guys who you'll know pretty quickly whether he has it or not and if he doesn't have it it's going to be like he'll walk three guys and hit two guys in the first inning and you will be like okay yep this is <laughs> just one of there. those days yeah felt Feltman's going to come out there he's going to pound the zone he's going to throw his two pitches and that's it you know he, he, he there's not a lot of moving parts it he's you know he's 511 so you can only move so much um but i mean it's max effort in the sense that uh he's got like the, the head whack and all that stuff, but whatever. I don't really care because he's a reliever. And, um, he just doesn't use a windup. You know, he gets the ball and throws. Darwin's in, there's a lot more going on, uh, pre-pitch. Um, and then obviously the, the control stuff. Um, so yeah, it's the biggest thing is the command and the control.
3: So we can't move out of Portland without asking about Tanner Houck. He's a guy who has been talked about as a potential reliever. If things don't go well as a starter, uh, they, they tinkered with him a little bit, changed around his delivery, He changed his pitch mix a little bit. Now he's back throwing the same pitches. What's going on with Tanner Houck, and does he have a chance to transition full-time to a bullpen role next year?
2: Um, I don't think they will, given they use a first-round pick on him. Um, I mean, obviously what they did last year is they were trying to give him a better chance to start. That was mainly what the tink, uh, what they were doing when they were tinkering tinkering with him. Um, you know, they tried to make the delivery clean it up a little bit because there's a lot going on with his delivery as well. Kind of a theme with the guys we've talked about t- uh, today. Um, but there's a lot going on. His arm slot's really low. Um, it's a long arm action, and he doesn't really he didn't really have a third pitch. Um, the changeup wasn't good, so there are a lot of questions about like how does his combination of low arm slot plus no changeup how does he get lefties out? Um, And so the Red Sox, they tried kind of switching things up, but, uh, now it's, he's back to what he was in college, which is where a lot of people thought he was a reliever, frankly. And it was, um, I'm kind of inclined that I think he eventually does end up there, but I just, I don't think it's for next year. I think given what they've invested in him, they're going to give him another chance to start. And if he can figure it out as a a starter, it's interesting. Cause I mean, he, he is, he's built like a starting pitcher. He's like six, five, you know, 220 pounds. It's and he's got, yeah, he's, he's built like, that's a big guy, you know, and he's got, he, he's got a, he's got the fastball, the sinker, but it's the crossfire delivery isn't a questionable thing. And the stuff had kind of ticked down a little bit in, in the deeper he gets in the games. And so we'll see what happens. Um, I would not be surprised if he ends up kind of in that, the multi-inning, you know, like, Bridge role, kind of, you know, the two to three innings come out of the bullpen and shove one time through the lineup.
3: Super valuable. Teams are exactly. using those. Oh, you know, for sure. In the playoffs, especially.
2: The way the game is going, that's a role that I think is going to be making come back, and I, I like that a lot because I think it's a really valuable role, and it, it kind of gives a home to these guys who are kind of caught in between being a starter and being a reliever. But you have to give them a chance to start because obviously, if you can develop a starting pitcher, that's a lot more valuable than reliever. So. You give him a chance, and I just given again. This is kind of a theme we'll get we'll get into with a lot of these names. Is given the number of guys ahead of him, I just don't think he's an option for this year.
3: Well, it sounds like there is an option for him to become the next Alfredo Aceves, so that's <laughs> that's okay with me.
2: <laughs> I mean, you never know. We'll have to see.
3: <laughs> we're we're big fans of the Aceves role on this show.
2: Right. Which role, pitcher or the brawl enforcer? Oh, both. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, can't, you can't
3: have one without the other. <laughs> <They're>... <laughs> Especially with with how size. I think he'd be great at that. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's an imposing presence to have out there.
3: That's for sure. It'll make the Yankees think twice even. uh so let's move up to Pawtucket this uh roster is just littered with potential uh bullpen options for next year um there's a bunch of guys that they're bringing in um who have been injured in the past there's Zach Putnam I mean there's there's Daniel Zach Putnam like very interesting help me sort through this mess because there are guys that we know that we're familiar with there's the Lakins there's the Pointers the Waldens but then there's a whole mess of other guys that seem like they might have a shot. So who gets a shot here? What do you think?
2: Well, I think the first guy to watch out for is Colton Brewer. Um, the Red Sox went out and got him. Uh, they traded a decently valuable player for him in um, Esteban Quiros, who's a little second baseman who can really hit, who I kind of like, um, just because he can hit. And uh, but he was a guy who just he got caught in the Padres 40-man roster crunch. Um, They weren't going to be able to keep him on the roster, and so the Red Sox pounced. And he's one of these guys who's got really good track man numbers. Um, He throws hard, got a good curveball, really good spin rate, and I think he's someone who they think if they can get him in the Red Sox pitcher development system with guys like Brian Bannister. Um, who could really turn into a useful piece. So he would be the first guy I'm watching. He's someone I'm going to keep a close eye on during spring training to see how he's looking on the mound. Um, Yeah, so do you want
3: to? So I I just need to jump in there because I had been thinking that this was a Bannister guy. Like this was a guy who Bannister targeted. He's had such success developing these guys that he targets as someone who could develop that way. We saw it last year with Ryan Brazier. Do you think there's a potential for this guy to really explode with the socks and become a different pitcher than he's been in the past?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think definitely that's he's someone who they as yeah, they specifically target him for a reason. And he, he ticks all the boxes that you look for in a pitcher who you work, you know, you tinker with a few things. Maybe you change the arm slot a little bit or just even change up some sequencing. He's someone who I really think could blow up. And if you look like frankly, his numbers were not bad last year. You know, I look 63 strikeouts in 48 innings. I like obviously a few too many walks few too many hits but in a bull pure bullpen role you know he's someone who has the stuff you look for and he gets a ton of ground balls which i frankly i like out of my bullpen arms um i don't want relievers who put the ball in the air because that's where you run into trouble so um yeah i he's someone who's really interesting to me and i'm I'm definitely looking forward to getting a look at him down in uh, spring training this year
3: yeah, he's, he's definitely a name to watch. i got to admit, though, I was guilty of being upset when they uh, traded Kiroz because <laughs> the dude just hit everywhere he was. And when yeah, he does. Pedroia's health being a little up in the air, I kind of thought he was an option. But um, the more I hear about him, the more intrigued I am and the more I think that they
2: did a good thing here. Definitely. Yeah, he's, he's a really interesting guy. All right, so who's next? Um, So of the names, obviously Bobby Pointer. We kind of know what he is. Um, He's got the big league experience. He had a really good – he was pretty good last year um, with the Red Sox, kind of in that lefty specialist role. He doesn't walk anyone, which is good. But, I mean, there's just not a lot of upside. You know, he's kind of like a – he's this matchup situational sixth-inning guy. So I don't think he's the answer if they're looking for someone who can pitch in the later innings. Um, The next guy who I would say is pretty interesting to me would be Travis Lakin's. Uh, he was someone we kind of heard there was an outside chance of him getting a call up last year, but I get why they didn't, considering he's had another guy who's had major injury issues. Um, he's missed time. He's missed. He got and had, he was shut down, excuse me, in both 2016 and 2017 with stress fractures in his pitching elbow, which is sounds bad. And um, so last year they kind of pulled the plug on him as a starter pretty earlier in the season and moved him into uh, three inning relief roles. And then after that, after a few of those, they were just they pulled the plug on that and went straight, just straight bullpen role. And his stuff really took off in that role. And it makes sense. He's undersized. Um, he, he's probably I think he's listed at six one. I would. he's I don't think he's six one. He's probably a little shorter than that small guy you know six foot 180 pounds ish but he's really athletic and the stuff when he's healthy is really good in short spurts but you know the longer he works in outings he just doesn't have that frame to be able to hold up and the fastball velo will tick down and it just didn't kind of work um but now it's you know he's got the face fastballs uh he's been up to 98 out of the bullpen and is now sitting in the mid 90s whereas as a starter he was more like 90 to 93 get up to maybe 92 94 early um he's evolved he used to throw a true slider but he's kind of he's changed into more of a cutter uh pure cutter in the high 80s and that's a really good pitch um potential plus offering for me and he's still got his curveball which um you know i am not sure it's i don't think it's as good as his cutter now i like the cutter a little more but i still think it's a pitch that will be able to get hitters out um and you know some scouts i've talked to like his curveball better than the cutter i think a lot of it depends on when you see him i like the cutter a little better but it's another you know pitch you could probably call above average ish so when you got those three pitches um and you really good athlete, you repeat your delivery rail, well, throw strikes. Um, that's definitely a guy who I think could help in the bullpen uh, next year. Not sure it's a late-inning stuff because there's no like plus-plus pitch there, but I think it's a guy who could be a really solid like seventh, eighth-inning guy.
3: Yeah, he, his numbers are interesting, and looking at them, he, he posted his best strikeout to walk ratios of his career at Portland and Pawtucket last year. I know that he transitioned mostly to a bullpen role or exclusively to a bullpen role, but was there anything else in there that you saw change with his ability to kind of command his pitches?
2: Um, no, I think it was just a lot of it was just getting more confident with the cutter too um, Okay. because he, he used the cutter a lot. Away, uh, he started just throwing that a lot more early in, sequ- in, early in the count, and so he wasn't as reliant on his fastball to get ahead in the count. And when you can keep hitters off balance by, you know, a lot of guys will just go out there and you know you're getting a fastball first pitch whereas he's able to throw two three pitches for strikes early in the count and allows him to get ahead in different ways and it kind of opens the things up but really for him you know if you go cutter first pitch you get the hitter thinking you know does he go back to it is he going fastball he has three things that he three pitches that he can use in any count and i think that's the thing that kind of it's a lot easier to do that in shorter stints, whereas, you know, as the game goes on, he you could see noticeably the fastball velo is dipping down, which is impacting his command, and he's laboring a little more. And, you know, that's by that time, you know, oh, he doesn't have feel for his curveball today, so we only have to sit on two pitches, for example. Whereas in a one-inning stint, that's just not an issue. It's just like he's going to come out and throw, and then he's done. So, yeah.
3: So if he does get a call this year, he's strictly going to be a one-inning guy. They're not going to mess with that at all.
2: I think so. Um, I think it was telling that they didn't have him because a lot of their bullpen guys they use in multi-inning roles in the minors. They'll have him throw two, even three innings at times. But he was someone who they tried that with and then after a few outings just completely uh, bailed on it and um, went back to like one inning or a little more than an inning at most because I think – he did throw 16 innings in 10 games last – or 16 innings in 10 appearances with Pawtucket. So I don't think it's going to be like a three-inning role but maybe like you know he'll get like four or five outs at a time kind of that role maybe two innings at most
3: uh can you sort through the lefties here for me so we talked about Bobby Pointer we kind of know what he is but Josh Taylor is an interesting guy he's on the 40-man roster and then they picked up Daniel Schlereth as well what do you see in these two guys are you familiar with them and what do you think is going to happen in terms of the the three left-handers there who ends up being used uh if at all by the Red Sox this season
2: well, I, I think uh pointer kind of he has a familiar or the organization has a familiarity with him and so does the major league coaching staff which I think kind of gives him a leg up but uh, Josh Taylor's a wild card for me uh he was someone who wasn't really on our radar to be added to the 40-man roster until late in the season and after getting a couple looks to them late and getting some buzz that he was throwing really well um you can see why because his stuff is really good I mean he was someone who they got kind of in a as a throw-in in or in the Devin Barrero trade um last year with arizona and he he throws pretty hard he's a big lefty he's listed at 6'5, 225 um but his fastball is like 94 to 96 uh he's got a decent cutter and a curveball but the issue has always been just throwing strikes but last year as the season went on he really made uh, big strides in that regards and that you know has really helped and then he got down to the afl and he did allow 18 hits in 13 innings, which is the command thing. It's just the command is below average, so that's a problem. But he also struck out 17 and only walked two guys. And 17 strikeouts in 13 innings from a lefty, that's going to catch the eye. And uh, that's why – I mean they obviously had to protect him because he was going to get picked. He's the prototypical guy you see taken in the 40-minute draft. these—or right. Sorry, in the Rule 5 draft these days. And um, I'm not sure what he is exactly because he's already 25. There's not a lot of upside – like – I think this year he's probably going to be an up-and-down guy, but I think Pointer would get the call first just because the command is definitely better with Pointer. But in terms of stuff, Taylor's stuff is much better than Pointer, so if he can you know, continue to show the strides he made with regards to the command and control last year, he becomes a very intriguing option, I think, as the season goes along. Whereas Ishlareth, I think, obviously, he's had major injury issues. I haven't seen him personally, and I kind of think he's just like, org filler in Pawtucket, but there's a chance, you know, if he shows that he's healthy, you never know.
3: Okay. So before we get you out of here, uh, one wild card that we haven't mentioned yet, who you think could be a guy who gets innings next year?
2: Um, let me just look down. Um, I mean, I guess I'll cheat a little bit and I'll say Mike Schwarin. Uh, he's not on the 40 man roster. He's in tr- Pawtucket though. But, um, I don't know. I just I think he's the guy who's kind of who could thrive in like the Jalen Beeks role, how they use him in Tampa as kind of a guy who comes in after the starter and throws like three or four innings because I don't think he's a starter. Um, I've seen him a lot of numerous times. I way too many to count at this point. And. I I just don't think his he has the delivery or the ability to keep his stuff deeper in the routings um, I've seen him, you know, he'll start off and at up to 95, but he's mostly like 91 93 And then by the fourth inning I see him He's like 88 to 89 and just keeps getting lower the deeper he works in the games He also throws a ton of sliders and I like a slider a lot. I think it's a plus pitch but I just don't – there aren't many, many, very many pitchers who are su- successful throwing as many secondary pitches as he's going to because his fastball just – I mean there's just not a lot there with his fastball. Yeah, it's, it's like it's an very, average – Yeah,
3: uh, it's, it's kind of reminds me of Chris Archer or Tyson Ross.
2: Yeah. It's like it's a very average fastball and um, – but and I guess I, I, I didn't know this, but I'm just uh, just was just checking something in FanGraphs had a little note in their write up of him that um his changeup was only in the upper eight or sorry, his fastball was in the upper 80s for a lot of his time in the AFL. And that kind of that uh, makes sense. You know, he pitched a full season last year and already his stuff would diminish as he got deeper into the game. So obviously the longer he goes into the season, that's going to take its toll. Um, so I just I'm not sure he has the stuff or the delivery to work in a starters role. But I also think he's more valuable than a one inning reliever. So he's someone who I could see in that like bridge role. And should the Red Sox, you know, need someone in that role. Cause right now they do have options. They have Brian Johnson and Hector Velasquez who can go both go multiple innings. And then obviously you can kind of Hembury workman I guys like that could hypothetically, but if Velasquez or Johnson, something happens to one of those guys, I think he'd be an intriguing option in that role. Um, should they not want to, you know, turn to the more one-inning types um, that they also have on the roster? Yeah.
3: Fun fact about him: he was called the unicorn in college.
2: It's like not a bad nickname. That's usually these days. It's a good thing to be called a unicorn because it means you're unique and very good. So, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> well, this was great stuff, Ian. Thanks so much for uh, kind of coming in here and helping us sort through. Uh, all these relievers Um, before we get you out of here though we want to ask about a couple deep guys in the system and then uh, the number one prospect on your site Michael Chavis so uh, let's start with Chavis he's I think the number one prospect you guys think so over at Sox prospect Uh, but where's he gonna play That's the big thing with Michael Chavis. He's kind of been at third base. Defense isn't great over there. He's played a little first, can probably pass in left field. Where does this guy ultimately end up, and does he get any time this year?
2: Um, I think he does get time this year, just based on numbers. They don't have that many position players on the 40-man roster, (laughs) frankly. Um, Just looking at Pawtucket right now, they only have – three and or four if you include Marco Hernandez but I don't know if Hernandez is even going to play at any point this year so um or I'm not going to count on anything since because he's coming back from shoulder surgery so they really only have Sam Travis Zuwey Lynn and Chavis on the 40 and I just looking at the combination of the age on the team and other factors I just I think they're going to have to dip into that group at some point and obviously Lynn and Travis are ahead of him but I think he's going to have to play a role at some point and I think it's most likely at first base um I just don't see him I'm not sold on him as a third baseman frankly um I, I think he could pass there but I I just I'm if people have issues and I know the Boston media and a lot of people have made a lot out of Raphael Devers's defense he's not as good a defender as Devers so if you have a problem with Devers's defense you're not going to like Shavis's. Devers has a hose over it. Third. Oh, absolutely! We, that throw in the World Series was absurd.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's um, the thing. People that look at him say that he's just he's, he's he needs to work on footwork. Essentially, it's it's small things that yeah could get him to be an average defender at the major yep. league level.
2: Well, he needs he needs to make sure he's in shape, and then as you said, it's it's he just he'll get lazy. It in the sense that you know he'll get the ball, he'll have it, and he'll just not set his feet, or he you know he'll not get in front of a ball that he needs to you know you can take one crossover step and get in front or try to reach off to the side and hit off the heel of the glove it's just like the little things that's so all correctable whereas I just don't think Chavis is as fluid in the field frankly um, and as a result that kind of I think he could play third base if he needs to and I think he's probably will at some point you know kind of in a backup role but I think his best chance of being a long-term starter with the Red Sox is at first base because they don't have anyone coming, and <laughs> frankly, um, like size-wise and everything, he's pretty similar to Steve Pierce in that regards. Who's listed at 5'11", 200 pounds, and I think Shavis is a little shorter than that, but he's around you know the same weight. And if the bat plays with Shavis, it's passable at first base. Um, not maybe not in like an everyday role, but in a guy you know who can start four or five days a week. Um, I think there's a chance. It's just with him, he's just got to make sure he makes enough contact, and you know he's got to. He hit for power make contact or make enough contact to tap into his power and if he does that I think there's a chance he could be a useful guy at first third base and as you said maybe even the outfield though I'm not sure he's the athletic enough to play in the outfield but we'll see
3: well, we have had worse out there
2: exactly <laughs> and frankly you can it, if it's a short amount of time you can fake people in the corner outfield especially when you have two gold glove center fielders in the center field and right field spots potentially exactly.
3: so, that, that yeah. covers up for a lot Exactly. Um, so two deeper guys that I want to mention. Um, Gilberto Jimenez and Eduardo Lopez. Uh, Lopez was the J2 signing from this year. Gilberto mm-hmm. Jimenez popped out of seemingly nowhere. So can you talk about both of these guys a little bit and maybe why a Sox fan should be excited about what's coming up?
2: Yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll do uh, Gilberto first just because I've seen him. Um, and he was the guy who down at Instructs everyone was talking about. Um other than Anthony Flores uh it's just because he came out of nowhere I mean he signed for 10k in August of 2017 so he wasn't signed in July and he got 10k bonus so nothing like in the they give 10k bonuses to you know 20 30 40 guys a season so he was kind of shot in the dark and he just showed up and he just had tools and there's no power at all um at this point, not over the fence power that is, mm-hmm. but he is the best athlete in the system and it's not close. Uh, he, he's an 80 runner um, and uh, or 70 to 80 runner depends. I mean, I, I would say probably like a 75 for me, but uh, he just is insanely fast, quick twitch athlete. Um, he started switch hitting last year and has made a lot of progress there. I still like his swing a lot more from the right side than the left. So I'm going to have to de- definitely something I want to watch. But, um. He he took to switch hitting really well for a, like a, such a young guy, you know, because he was only a 17 year old last year or even. And um, yeah, he just went out in the DSL and hit 320. He got on base. Um, his stolen base numbers weren't good, but that's just because he's just a raw player. He needs to work on the instincts. But he's got the defense. I think he can be, uh, you know, an above average defender in center field. Um, it's like he's got average, above average arm strength. Um, and when you have that kind of speed and you can make contact and have a chance to hit, like, that's a really interesting guy. And obviously there's a long way to go developmentally. Um, you know, he's not someone who we're going to see in Boston anytime this decade, probably, uh, you're looking at like 2022, 2023 ish, you know, so he's several years away. But he's someone you can dream on, and it's the type of player they haven't really had in the system for the past couple of years because they've been trading them or whatever. So he's someone you can definitely dream on as a potential everyday guy at some point in the future. But, you know, a lot can happen between now and then. So we'll see.
3: Is it common for someone this tooled up to get a 10K bonus? Like, or does this scout who signed him deserve a huge raise? Like, how did they find this guy?
2: I mean, it definitely doesn't happen that often, but there's just so many guys you can – I mean – it, it's it could be a, a myriad of factors that contribute you know there's su- certain guys who just don't have the money to get to showcases or to get a good you know boost or trainer to help them out yeah um you know there's just a lot the international market is a is like the wild wild west you know <laughs> you never know what's going on there so i don't know in his case um i just know you know that uh, Manny many nanita and eddie romero who we have listed as the two signing scouts um they saw something you know and i i've always ad- i've been a long advocate that if i you know, if an international team, the best strategy, in my opinion, is just sign as many guys as you can, who you see anything from and see what sticks, because, you know, they can afford to throw 10K at 20, 30 guys. And if you throw enough money at enough guys, if you hit on one of them, it more than makes up for the other, you know, 19 or whatever that don't work out.
3: Yeah. Looking at your list of J2 guys on Sox dot com, it seems like they're really taking that to heart and they are doing that right now. Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think especially given the new signing rules you have to do that because you know you can only sign so many big ticket guys um for uh, above the bonus pool or to fit within your bonus pool and obviously they've been trading every year they trade for or at least the last two years they've traded for significantly more money but it's you know and you have those high-end guys but the problem is if you if you don't sign anyone else and you miss on those guys then you basically waste an entire class but if you're signing you know x number of players 20 30 40 guys for 10k bonus you're bound to hit on one or two of them the law of averages says that so and and all it takes is one of those to make up for the other ones that don't work and part of the reason i think that we see like in the 2017 2018 pool there's so many is because they were they needed they wanted to get back to running two dsl teams and given Mm -hmm. they were banned from signing anyone the previous year they needed players badly so that was that kind of contributed to why 2017, 2018 was so big. But I still like even last year after Lopez, who was the next guy we're going to talk about, um, it was a lot of like they just handed out a lot of smaller bonuses rather than going for the big ticket guys like they did the year before.
3: I'm kind of into the strategy. It seems yeah. to be working for them.
2: Yeah, no, they're they international department. Um, obviously, a lot of and this doesn't include even the guys they traded like Gregory Santos, oh, who got traded in the who did he get traded for? Who did they get from the Giants? Uh, when was that? La, two years ago. It was him and Sean Anderson. Oh, um.
3: Oh, it was uh, Eduardo uh, Nunez. Eduardo Nunez, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, Gregory Santos was another guy who I think he'll appear on some Giants lists, but he's just like a hard throwing righty who they signed out of the Dominican, um, I want to say last year, or two years ago, uh, he was in that trade. Or no I was he, he was signed in 2015 2016 actually excuse me um but he's like a guy like they're they're between the guys they've traded and out and actually some of the guys who they lost in the international signing you know issues um have turned into legit prospects so yeah they've done a really good job internationally these last few years and even someone like Yaisen Koko, who was traded in the player to be named later in the Thornberg trade had a really good year last year in the Pioneer League you know 280 in the Pioneer League so um yeah they they've done really well in the international market and as I said, given the restrictions, you know, it's easier to find, you can find that you're not going to sign, you know, undrafted free agents for 10K who turn out to be that good basically ever, you know, yeah. you, there's only so many Daniel Navas of the world. Whereas in the international market, you hear a lot more about, you know, guys signing for 10K turning into something. So I definitely think it's a good strategy.
3: Yeah, we, we've we've sort of seen the international signees uh, bear fruit at the major league level, at the minor league level, and at the trade level. So it's... Uh... It certainly, it seems like a strong suit for this organization as a whole. Definitely. Um, so speaking of big bonus guys, Eduardo Lopez, uh, what do we know about him so far? He's the big J2 guy from this past year.
2: Um, frankly, not a lot because he actually, so he could not participate in Instructs since he just signed. Um, so the, the, we won't actually get a look at him until Instructs of next year because he won't be at Springfield. Oh, wow. Yeah. They don't usually bring those guys over. Um, I do know I have heard from someone who saw him working out at Fenway that he's a lot bigger than he's listed right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of height. So he's already growing, which makes sense. I mean, he's a 16 year old, so there's still there's obviously a lot of projection there. And I guess he's got legit power. Um, They saw him hit. Uh, He definitely had some pop. But other than that, I, I don't do not know a lot and won't for a while, um, okay. frankly, just because he's not. No one's gonna see him until you know he'll be in the DSL to start next year, and that and then you don't ever get reports in the DSL really. So it'll be more like instructs next year when we have a better handle for him.
3: Cool, someone we can dream on and hope he grows on all the right ways. So exactly, that's cool. Well, Ian, uh, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. I appreciate all the insights as usual. Um, You have to go check out Ian's work over at SoxProspects.com. He writes up scouting reports there as he's the head of the scouting department. Um, Also, you can follow Ian on Twitter. You can follow him at at IanCundall, C-U-N-D-A-L-L.
2: Um, Ian, appreciate it. I'm happy to come on anytime. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Thanks for having me.
3: All right. Joining me now for some listener questions is Matt Collins of Over the Monster. Matt, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you. It's been a little while.
3: It has. It's been too long, in fact. Uh, We just had a great segment with Ian Kundal, so hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Uh, And now we are going to get to some of your listener questions. Uh, And uh, it's been a while, so there were a lot piled up. Appreciate the questions. Uh, First one comes from our own Mike Carlucci. And he says, will Mookie's fedora start a new trend, the next beards?
1: Did you see this thing? The peacock suit? <laughs> oh, it's so good. But, uh, I mean, there's like, what, three to five people in the world that can pull this off?
3: I mean, um, let's let's think of a couple. Mookie won, right? Who else could pull it
1: off? I have no idea. I think Drake I know could I pull couldn't. it off. Drake could do it. I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know who's cool anymore.
3: Vanilla Ice? I you don't think Vanilla is. Ice could do it. <laughs>
1: I know Vanilla Ice can do it. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out how to describe this, and uh, while I was trying to figure it out, somebody beat me in the replies to one of the Red Sox tweets. And it's like, when you can't decide between the Great Gatsby and Robin Hood, and that just fucking nails it.
3: <laughs> yeah, that thing was amazing. Uh, total total custom job there. But I like how uh, he was standing next to Yellick, and Yellick was wearing something like, Cool, but, like, totally subdued, and he's just like...
1: Normal, yeah.
3: Peacock, bitch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Literally peacocking.
3: Yeah. It's a, it's sort of a microcosm of the, the type of season that he had, because he was just by far and away the best player. So that was awesome. Um, but, yeah, you know what? I think they should do a peacock
1: night at Fenway this year. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I could... I, I don't think, like I said, people, normal people can't pull this off. Let Mookie have this. He's one of the few. Yeah, you're probably right. Let's leave it to him.
3: He's much cooler than any of us will ever be. Yeah. All right. Next one comes from Anthony Pic, uh, Piggato. Um Sorry about that. Uh, what are the chances the Sox sign Harper to a one-year deal and ride the rotation like they did 15 years ago?
1: Um. This question makes no sense, right? I don't think so. I don't understand ride the rotation. Like if they, first of all, the chances are zero. But if they did sign Harper, like that lineup would be bananas.
3: Yeah, he wouldn't be riding the rotation, especially considering how good the lineup was last year and you're adding Harper to yeah. it.
1: Yeah, they had the best lineup in baseball and you're adding one of the best hitters. I mean, the rotation's good, but you're not riding that rotation.
3: No. I don't really
1: understand this question at all, but the chances are zero to answer the first bite.
3: It seems like, uh, as you listen to this, Bryce Harper might be announcing something today. Right? Because did you you see the Twitter thing?
1: The the, show? Yeah, with the show. It's going to be a trailer or something, and we're all going to be very disappointed.
3: I don't know. Maybe. But either way, I'm pumped to play the show. It's going to be awesome.
1: I don't have PlayStation.
3: I uh I think I, I well I don't yet either but I I'm thinking about getting it for the show, just me. I it. wanted it.
1: I wanted it but uh it was sold out. One I got it so I got Xbox instead.
3: Oh all right well that's a good deal anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah I got it on Black Friday so I got the deal.
3: Nice. All right next question comes from Mick Collins and he says. Why did the Sox only wear the blue away jersey in the World Series? And when is Nick Punto eligible for the Hall of Fame? Do you think he wears a Red Sox cap? I love the Nick Punto Hall of Fame stuff here. But I actually have no clue about the blue jersey.
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the last person to ask about jerseys. I don't really notice that stuff. Everybody has strong opinions on like, All-Star jerseys, and I just don't even notice
3: I remember liking the, the Red Sox blue alternates and when Ellsbury was like in his heyday, I always wanted a blue Ellsbury jersey, but I never did buy one.
1: I have a white Ellsbury jersey.
3: Nice. You still rock that thing?
1: Yeah, that's the only real sports jersey I own.
3: Nice. That's a good one to own. Ellsbury was the man.
1: I bought it right after you signed up the Yankees.
3: So now you have to get a Jer- Duran jersey. Because he's like the next Ellsbury.
1: When they start making him, absolutely.
3: <laughs> there we go. Uh, next question comes from Ben Jacobson. And he says, why have done literally nothing this offseason? Anyone we could sign? Well, Ben, um, they have done something. They have signed Nate Eovaldi, re-signed him. And they have re-signed World Series MVP Steve Pierce. Uh, but yeah, it's been kind of a shitty offseason.
1: I like that for everybody if it makes people feel better, other than like the Reds and the Mets. So,
3: yeah, if you're a Reds fan, you're stoked, right? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Especially they're moving in on Real Muto. Are they? Yeah, they're fun. They, I mean, they aren't like, uh, close or anything, but they are involved in talks now.
3: Wow. I guess it makes sense why they've been a. Uh... Not letting anybody make any offers on Joey Votto for years, so they're, they're that division's
1: fun. fun it as is. Well. I, like I everybody except the Pirates.
3: Yeah, the Pirates are boring. Um, in unless some of those kids come up, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I think they could
1: make some noise. They could, but I mean, I would probably bet on them being like third or fourth.
3: Yeah, you know what's crazy about that division, though, is uh, projection systems are hating on the Milwaukee Brewers. Really? Yeah, few projection systems have know. them last in the division right now.
1: What? Yeah, makes no That's sense. Because of their rotation, I guess? That's still
3: outrageous. It's because the rotation. I don't think projection systems know how to value modern r- reliever usage. Uh, the way I didn't even know
1: projection guys. systems were already out like that.
3: Yeah, a few are, so... It's, uh, I, th- I believe the thing I saw was they were projected for 79 wins. That's garbage. Yep, total garbage. Speaking of the Milwaukee Brewers, though, Kamish asks us, can we have Travis Shaw back?
1: I'm kind of sick of the Travis Shaw stuff. I don't know. I get it. It was a bad trade. It happens.
3: We've had a couple good ones I feel since like- then, though.
1: Yeah, I feel like Travis Shaw – and don't get me wrong. I've been wrong on Travis Shaw's whole career. He's very, very good. I feel like people act like he's a superstar. He's not quite there. And the Red Sox have Devers. I would rather have Devers than Shaw anyway. So
3: There's a good chance Devers would be playing above Shaw at this point anyway. I mean, probably, I mean Shaw would right probably now. be a
1: first base. Shaw, yeah. Shaw would probably be a first, but yeah.
3: But then you don't win the World Series because you don't have Steve Pierce. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Get out of here, Shaw. Go have fun. I, Dubon
1: is the guy that they need back. That's a different story. Dubone never left your heart. That's true. He would be second base this year, probably, for a lot of the year.
3: Maybe they'll get him back. I doubt it. Next question comes from Jake. He says, on a scale of 1 to 10... How depressing is it that this team is so damn good, yet they've chosen to completely neglect the bullpen this offseason? This team has proven they can be historically good. It feels like a travesty that they're willing to take a step back after one year. Matt, I'm going to clear the floor so you can preach about this because I know that this has been getting on your nerves.
0: I mean,
1: yeah. If they don't sign Kimbrel, I'm going to be a lot more upset. I'm still like, I, I still feel like they're going to get Kimbrel. So I don't want to go nuts complaining when it's not over yet. But, yeah, if Kimbrell goes, it would be pretty pretty disappointing that they are just going to go with what they have. Um, and, I mean, people are saying that they need a closer, and it's like I don't not think that Matt Barnes can handle that job or anything, but it's more the guys that are filling the fifth, sixth, seven spots in the bullpen shouldn't be in the bullpen, and those are the guys – that Kimbrough's replacing he's not replacing Barnes so yeah I mean right now it's probably like a three because it's still January and nothing's finished yet but if in one Kimbrell signs somewhere else then that'll move up significantly
3: yeah and it's really seeming like that you know with the Brad Brack signing somewhere else and then the, the Kelly signing somewhere else as well Sean Kelly I should say um it does seem kind of odd that they're choosing to cheap out on this. And, you know, we we just talked to Ian about this. And Ian talked about, you know, myriad of options that exist in the Sox minor league systems. And a lot of them are really good, but none of them are Kimbrel, And you're coming off a 108-win season. It does seem kind of weird that the team wouldn't push in for this expense if if they don't get Kimbrel, Assuming they don't. I mean, what is the justification there?
1: Money, I guess. I mean, that's the only thing that matters. I mean I I haven't heard I obviously haven't heard what you guys talked about because I wasn't on and you guys just finished talking a few minutes ago. But um I like Feltman Lakens, Hernandez if he assuming he does get converted to relief at some point. Those are guys that come in when Thornburg doesn't perform or gets hurt or Hembree doesn't show any growth or Workman isn't as good as they hope or injuries occur or whatever. I mean, these are guys that you want pitching the fifth, sixth innings, especially when they first get called up. So that has nothing to do with um, I I guess the other part would be that they just think they can trade for somebody at the deadline, but I don't really get waiting to do that when there's – a guy that you know is great, available right now, and his market just keeps going down.
3: Yeah, the the other thing there is that relievers at the deadline are expensive. You know, it doesn't seem like that's good well,
1: business. I mean, to his credit, Dombrowski's done a really good job with those deadline trades. Sure. You think I mean, back to the Reed deal, and that was a good deal. The Ziegler trade might be the best trade value wise of his tenure here. Mm-hmm. Trading the other Basabe twin, um, and I mean even in obviously he was a starter, but at the time he was kind of looked at as the guy that was going to go into the bullpen at the deadline. And Beeks wasn't nothing, but I mean that wasn't like a you weren't trading a top prospect for him. So I mean Diversky's, I think good at trading. He gets. A lot of flack for trading prospects but if you look at his track record he usually picks the right guys i'm not really worried about that i'm just worried about if you trading for somebody at the deadline you're going half the season without that guy and i don't really see the point of that
3: yeah we're in agreement there so hopefully something gets done with kimbrill so we don't have to worry about that uh an interesting and terrifying question from gordon comstock here he says would you rather trade mookie betts Uh, Would you trade Mookie Betts for Vlad Jr. straight up? Talking about the number one prospect, Vlad Guerrero Jr. I'm not advocating for this or saying I want this or saying anyone would do it. Purely hypothetical, but I think reasonably compelling argument could be made with all factors considered. This is really interesting because Vlad Jr., and he included the projections here. Projection systems have this guy basically coming into the league as a 300 hitter with like a 340 OBP. Uh, up to 370, like by his second year, with gobs of power. I mean, guys have thrown 80s on his hit tool, um, and he's got so much control. Mookie's only here till 2020. What do you think about this? Obviously, in real life, there's no, no way we're doing it. But like, if you were starting in real team, life, well, sure. But like in a hypothetical, let's just say, not for this Red Sox team, okay? Because for this Red Sox team, we're going with Mookie, right, for the next two years. But, like, if you were starting a franchise, you'd give up two years of Mookie for seven years of Vlad, right, or six years of Vlad?
1: I guess, I mean, I'd say I lean towards no. Um, I guess the only way I would say yes is if I had an owner that I knew wasn't going to allow me to keep Mookie in free agency. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, best-case scenario for Flat is that he's bets, value wise. I mean, right. if we think that bets is the second best player in baseball, I, I don't think anybody thinks Flat is going to be Trout because nobody's Trout. Right, and the defense isn't there. Best case, all. you're getting bets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll take I'll take the guy who's already that guy, and he's only 26.
3: Yeah, I'm with uh, you there.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, the control the control comes down to it. I just think. You don't worry about control when you're talking about talents like this, because you're gonna do what it takes to keep them around if you're a smart franchise. Uh,
3: side note: There, can we please lock Mookie up for like the next 15 years of his life on this team for a whole truck of money,
1: please? I don't think there's any way he's ever he's not signing an or he's I don't know if he's gonna sign an extension. I don't think he's going to play anywhere else.
3: He better not. If 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 he does something has really happened terrible uh, between the team and Mookie, and I just don't see that happening.
1: So. Yeah, I can't imagine that scenario. All
3: right, next one comes from Dirty Water Rants, and he says his tray is Trey Ball still a thing? Not as a pitcher anymore. Right, Matt?
1: I believe. I know he's working out as an outfielder. I believe that's a full-time thing. I don't know if maybe they're going to try him as both or what's going on there. Um, but, yeah, he is – Converting to of he's basically not a thing anymore, though.
3: That pick yeah. still irks me, man. When that pick happened, I was like, you're, you're doing this pick on a you know, high school lefty? I mean, come on, but uh, whatever. I didn't really follow
1: the draft at that point, so I didn't really know what was going on. But, uh, yeah, in hindsight, it certainly did suck a lot.
3: I, I think the thing that pissed me off so much about the trade ball thing was there was this whole lead-up. Like, this is the highest the Sox have picked in 50 years or whatever. And I was just like, okay, yeah, we're going to get a player. And then trade Ball.
1: So, yeah. Uh, it
3: was just it was a lot of well, lead- Well, they up.
1: got the same pick like two years later and got Dundee so. Yeah. Wasn't too bad.
3: Yeah, that was the right choice. Uh, next one, Joey. And he says, Why aren't the Sox more highly interested in JT Realmuto, even if it costs Xander or JBJ? Pursuing Machado or Harper, Harper would be a nice insurance against Mookie leaving, and it's a GFIN move in 2019. I don't know what that means. What's GFIN?
1: Uh, go fucking in, I guess. Okay, that would be my guess. Um, uh, what what would the Marlins want with Alexander Bogarts?
3: Right, a guy who's got one year left on his contract.
1: Even Jackie Bradley in two years. I mean, that just makes no sense for the Milans.
3: Yeah, unless they had an extension in agreement with one of those guys, that wouldn't make sense. We're talking about the (laughs) Milans. Right, yeah, the team. If the Milans could
1: extend somebody like that, they'd extend Real Muto. Yeah. Yeah. And they're asking for, like, Mejia and Verdugo and Sunzel – and guys like that, the Red Sox don't have that guy. It's right. just they're not. They it's not possible for them to be in this market.
3: They don't even have a guy like Keeper Ruiz who is being talked about. They don't have anyone. I mean, they don't. They don't have a, a guy like that. The Michael Chavis is their guy, and his highest ranking has
1: been 79. That's who you have. What's that? He's not as consensus as I thought he was going to be.
3: No. Yeah. Baseball hey. America didn't have him number one.
1: Neither did Fangrass.
3: Um, Yeah, I'm looking at Fangrass right now. They had Casas number one, Darwin's in two, and uh, Chavis three.
1: I was surprised. I think Chavis is the clear-cut number one. I'm sure you guys already talked about this, so I do not get into it again. But um, either way, no matter who you have as their number one, they don't have uh, Moto, like somebody who can get Riyomoto.
3: I think the bigger question here – that Joey didn't bring up, but I think we should talk about is why the hell don't you sign grand for a year at the money that he's at. I mean, the, he, he signed a one year deal with the brewers. Um, it's hard to imagine that he wouldn't have considered something similar for the world series champions. If you wanted to upgrade at catcher, that was how you did it. You didn't have to give anybody up.
1: I don't think they care about offense at catcher at all. And I don't know that they're wrong. Um, I don't know. I've been thinking of, I wrote this the other day. I've been thinking about this more, and the more I think about it, the more I think, given the way the team is set up, that you've got to get rid of Swihart if you're getting rid of somebody, and just keep the defense and just take the black hole for what it is, but have guys that your pitchers are comfortable with.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. It seems like they have I just think that's that. their
1: approach. Yeah.
3: Yep.
1: I'm so with I don't, you. No, I did, yeah, I don't think they're going to pour any assets to improve offense in a position where defense is so important.
3: Uh, next question comes from Hector Con Air Fryer, and he's asking if they sign Kimbrell. Hopefully. Next one comes from Costa, and he says, would a team of remaining free agents threaten for a wildcard berth? You know, I was thinking about yeah. this, but I see. I don't even know if you could make a decent team anymore because there aren't that many guys left on the market. There are the big names, right? So there are Harper, Machado, Keuchel, Kimbrel. Then you're somebody
1: down did it the other about, day. Like, what's it? Somebody did it the other day. I'm trying to find it. Maybe more guys are signed, so it's not, but. But,
3: like, for pitchers, after that, you'd have, like, Gio Gonzalez. You know, you'd have – tons of guys have signed. They've taken below-market deals, but it's really, like, the top four guys that we're still waiting on. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think when I saw it, it was, like, right before, like, A.J. Pollock had signed in a couple of these relievers. So probably not anymore. If you had asked, like, four days ago, though, or whenever Pollock signed – I, I was looking at that team. I really wish I remember who put that up. But I mean, it was like a legitimate 80 to 87 win team.
3: Hmm.
1: Like the rotation wasn't great, but everything else was pretty impressive. And I mean, they had stars with like Pollock and Harper and Machado, those guys.
3: I feel like we get this question every year. It's becoming a yearly question.
1: About two years. Yeah, yeah it's, it kind of sucks. What are you going to do? Uh,
3: probably have a strike.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. I, the more I – yeah, this is a discussion for another day. I don't think a strike's going to happen. I I've been hope. thinking about it. I don't think it's going to. I hope not. I want baseball. At least not one that costs games. Mm.
3: Uh, next question comes from Jesse, and it says, I uh, think we are trading a catcher. Which one would you like to keep? Sorry if you answered this in other pods. First time tuning in. Jesse, thank you for tuning in for the first time. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, Matt's answer is Swihart, and uh, I'm going to betray all of my uh, Swihart enthusiasts out there who I've you know, been beating the drum with. Uh, I think that on this team, I agree with Matt. It makes sense to go with Leon um, in, in Vasky right now because of the defense. Uh, I, I still love Swihart as a player, but um, he belongs with a different org at this point, in my opinion. Uh, Brett, Iowa fan, says, who is losing to the Sox in the World Series next year, 2019? Matt, who do you think? Who's going to make it out of the NL?
1: The Nationals after they re-sign Harper.
3: Whew. That team would be silly stacked.
1: Yes, they would. I pick the Nationals for the World Series every single year, so I can't stop now.
3: On paper, like that makes sense pretty much every year. Just- yeah. There's Never worked, something weird with that clubhouse environment, it seems like. So, we'll see. Uh, I'm going to go with... Mm, uh, man, I wanted to do something bold. I was going to say like Padres, if they sign like a million guys and trade for <laughs> some dudes. Um, I'll go with uh, whoever wins the, uh, the NL East. I don't know.
1: Lame. You got to pick a team.
3: All right, fine. Uh, Mets. Mets on oh. the back of their pitching. Okay. It's a weird It's a weird move. I want to be different. Uh, Jordan C. Schribner says, This is an unprecedented chance for the Sox to repeat this year, but also get insurance for a possible three-peat. Why do you think Dombrowski didn't do his Dombrowski thing and score Bryce Harper to create a lethal lineup?
1: I mean, they don't even want to sign Kimbrel. They were never going to be on the Harper market. It just it sounds great, but it's just not. They Dombrowski did his Dombrowski thing the last three years, and now he didn't really have to.
3: That's just what it is. And they're also super focused on trying to lock up the guys they have, it seems like. Um, You know, trying to get guys to contract extensions or, uh, you know, keep them in free agency. So, yeah, I agree with Matt. He also asks a second question Do you think the Sox will let Xander walk and go all out to sign Francisco Lindor? So I've been thinking about this one since I read it. And. I do think Lindor is a better player than Xander, uh, certainly defensively.
1: There's no question.
3: Yeah, no, I'm not questioning that at all. But I honestly don't think, like, if, if organizations were going to go all out to sign a guy, they would have gone all out to sign Harper. They would have gone all out to sign Machado. Like, I don't know that Lindor is really that much better than either of those two guys. I don't know that an org goes all out to sign him. I don't know that that's just how things operates.
1: Absolutely right. There is this trend in sports where we always have to keep looking at the next class. It happens in free agency and it happens in drafts, and it drives me insane. They did it to get today on MLB Network, and it just they're talking about how you don't want to spend on Harper and. Machado now because Trout and Betts and Lindor are going to be free agents. And it's like, if you go back two years before this, everybody's saying that about Harper and Machado. You don't, we don't know what's going to happen two years from now. So you take the guy. Bogars is an all-star. You don't worry about Lindor because you don't know what's going to happen when he's a free agent. Get the guy while you can get him.
3: Absolutely. You know, win some games. Look at the Cincinnati Reds. I love their offseason. That's uh, that's what all teams should be doing right now.
1: Yeah, so much more fun.
3: But way more fun. And this offseason has been absolute garbage. So unless you're in Cincinnati, you didn't probably have much fun. Unless you uh, popped best. in the Red Sox World Series DVD, then you probably had some fun. Uh, next one comes from Ryan Fleming. He says, concerned about the bullpen. You're damn right. <laughs>
1: A little bit, but I don't know I mean I'm, as far as much as like I'm complaining about the bull again, it's not set yet. Kimber's still out there, and also the rest of the team is really good, so I don't want to start this year off like already just focus dwelling on the negatives. this team is way too good to just look at the bullpen and say it's over because we made that mistake all last year there's no reason to do that again
3: yep. You gotta stay positive. And if you can't stay positive after 108 wins in a World Series, you should probably be watching something else.
1: Or just keep listening to us if you don't have to watch Red Sox.
3: <laughs> There you go. Uh so Matt, anything else before we go on and get out of here?
1: Uh yeah, shout out to uh Bill James for continuing to have normal ones on the internet. We're all we're all proud of you, buddy. And
3: didn't he like say he was going to kill someone or what was that whole thing?
1: He put out a poll asking if you've ever been so angry in your life that if you had a gun in your hand, you would have killed someone. And was slabbergasted that a lot of people said no. <laughs> All right. This is a man employed by the Red Sox. This is uh, not great.
3: No, they're going to have to uh, put him out to pasture soon. Yeah, at some point soon. Yeah, send that guy to the glue factory. <laughs> he's uh, He's had enough. All right, well, I hope you've uh, had a a good time listening to this podcast. Uh, If you are a first-time listener, thanks for tuning in. Um, Subscribe to the show. Uh, Do that on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Go on to iTunes, rate and review us. Uh, Give us a five-star rating. Tell us we did a great job if you want to. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Matt at MattRYCollins. You can follow me at @devjake, dev jake and you can follow our other uh, guy uh, brian joiner at brian joiner brian with a y joiner with an i and you can follow our guest today ian kundal at at ian kundal c-u-n-d-a-l-l uh, thank you for joining us and we'll be with you next time